I'm Greg Lambrecht, founder of Intrinsic Therapeutics and one of the inventors of the Barricade Annular Closure Device. In this four-part interview series, Getting the Most from Barricade, you'll hear from Dr. Pierce Nunley, who you heard from in the first series, and Dr. Adissa Kursumovich, who is a neurosurgeon, interventional neuroradiologist, and radiologist in Feelingen, Schwenningen, Germany. You're listening to Chapter 3, Lessons Learned and Reoperation Strategies. Next week's chapter will be the final part of this interview. Now let's turn it over to the experts. So the next thing that we want to talk about is the device itself and talking about some of these herniations. But then it finally gets down to implantation. You touched on it a little bit before about how large this is, particularly if you choose a 10 millimeter and you have a small annulotomy. I mean, it really fills the entire space. And the first few times there's a what we call a pucker factor related to that. So what do you do to try to mitigate the uh, potential injury to the nerve and feel comfortable about actually placing the implant? Going for larger implant is definitely one of the lessons we've learned over time. And we've analyzed all re-herniation cases done with barricade. And what I've noticed while operating, luckily just only the few of them, was that the re-herniation occurred next to the implant. So the barricade or the mesh of the barricade was actually securely closing the hole in an annulus. And the re-herniation happened next. In these cases that I've revised, it was medial to the barricade. Interesting. Therefore, I try to think that the reason why actually this re-herniation happened is that we've probably missed to measure the annulus uh, hole properly in, mm -hmm. in the first surgery. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have the hole which is 15 millimeters and you are closing it with 10 millimeters implant, you will probably increase the pressure to the remaining five millimeters of the hole in an annulus, which will lead to the re-herniation. Exactly. And what actually, uh, what we've seen in the real world setting is that one patient even developed contralateral re-herniation, which also supports this way of thinking, that it must have been a larger annular defect, which we've missed to measure properly or to seal it properly, which led to a contralateral re-herniation. And therefore, it's my personal experience and my recommendation to the colleagues, you should go for the larger mesh. Don't be afraid of the mesh because mesh is not hurting any uh, neural uh, tissue. What you really need to take care of is the anchor because anchor cuts the bone. So you want to make sure that you are retracting the dura, that you are retracting the nerve root properly. When starting with barricade surgery, you should take your resident because you will want to concentrate on the implantation, mm -hmm. on the tapping and on the fluoro. If the annular defect is located slightly more medial than what you feel comfortable with, you will have to retract the dura more. But that's really up to the surgeon and up to his feeling if he mm -hmm. feels comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you will need to remove the part of processus spinosus or to remove mm -hmm. the part of medial ligamentum flavum in order to retract the dura properly. Mm -hmm. And once you can clearly visualize the defect, you can go for implantation even for the defects which are located more medial or posterolateral in that case. No, I think that's a really important point. Do you use any kind of special retractors or just kind of the standard nerve root retractor? That's a very standard nerve retractor that we use. Excellent. So I think that's very uh, telling. Obviously, if you have a small defect still left, 
you know, Bernoulli's principles, it, it does increase pressure at that level. So if you do notice that 15 millimeter defect, then we don't implant, correct? That's correct. But That's correct. Do you then do, this is the next question, uh, which is really a personal question. Do you then remove any more fragments or try to do more of a fragment <sighs> removal or what do you do? I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> That's a very difficult question. It's yeah. really difficult Sorry. question because I usually try to discuss this prior to surgery with the patient. I tell them what the odds are. I tell them what the problems and risks of both procedures are, of limited and aggressive. I would lie to you if I say that I never go aggressive. Right. But I've reduced my aggressive discectomies to a minimum. Correct. So I would rather go for limited discectomy and take the risk that I will need to revise this patient in the next few months or a few years for reherniation before I go and really take the whole disc out in a patient who is 36. Exactly. But I do discuss this prior to surgery with the patient and I want them to decide. I kind of ask them to trust me, but I do go uh, these potential cases um, of what we'll do uh, during the surgery and what I definitely, what I've done over time, I became less aggressive than I was at the beginning. I think that's so important. You know, we talk about, we're first doctors, we're talking about an implant, obviously, in a technology, but talk to your patients and show them the differences, right? You know, so, and, and I do the same thing. They, they invariably do pick doc, do what you think's correct, but to help them understand, because what I'll typically do, and I've, I've been doing this for almost 20 years, is uh, before the barricade device, once the fragments are removed, I'll reach in with a pituitary rangeur and just kind of tug a little bit. <laughs> and if it easily comes out, then that's fine. See if it comes. But if it's kind of <laughs> stuck to something, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm not taking that out. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I do to try to reach around and pull. And if it's stuck, just I leave it alone and gently feel through and do that. And we, we all have these little anecdotes, but I think it helps for the audience to kind of hear, you know, how we really end up doing things in the end. But I, but I do agree that I think if you do a complete disc exoneration and a 36-year-old, you're going to increase the chances they're going to get a fusion. And I think uh, we, we see eye to eye completely on that. But I think the key point is, is having that discussion with the patient whether or not they want the barricade device. And if they, for some reason, don't qualify for the barricade device, they understand that you could have a re-herniation. There's two different ways to do this, but trust the doc. And, and, and I think that's a, that's a great conversation to have. Interestingly, over time, the patients are getting informed about this kind of surgery, and they've started asking for the annular closure. That's really interesting because the patients are also aware of the fact that they have these two possibilities, which are both not perfect. But if you have something in between and if you are able to seal the, the hole in an annulus, maybe it will end up with better results, which we were able to prove through the RCT. And that's the experience that we've had in Degendorf, that the patients uh, were referred to us from other centers for getting the um, annular closure device. Excellent. Do you treat your patients any differently postoperatively that get the barricade device than those that do not? 
No, I don't. That's completely identical post-operative procedure. I do not do any bracing. They are very active. They do completely normal post-op procedures after barricade surgery. And do you get radiographs? And if so, at what time intervals? I do early post-operative just to see how the implant fits. And uh, what I've done in the real world setting is had them back after six weeks, three months, six months, and then annually. And do you get radiographs at those intervals to make sure the implant's still in place? I do, yes, at the beginning and then on, uh, after one year. So another subject to switch gears a little bit, do we burn any bridges when we use barricade? Luckily, we don't. I was luckily wasn't operating many patients who were implanted with barricade, but still we needed to revise a few. The majority was for reherniations, but some other needed um, another surgeries. We've done fusion procedures, for example. What I definitely can say out of my personal experience, but also the experience that we've made in the RCT, is that almost all revision strategies are possible. The only one that you probably won't be able to do is implanting the cage in the place where the barricade is placed. Right. But I hardly know anyone who is doing P-leaf procedures anymore, so where you put two cages from both sides. Right. But if you go for the contralateral T-leaf, or what I prefer to do is anterior or from the side, in that case, I just cut the mesh out and do the implantation of the large cage, which does work perfectly. So you have no problems with it. And in the cases where you do not need to remove the anchor, I would just leave the anchor where it is. So that's interesting because I've thought about that myself. I only do T-lifts when I have to. Otherwise, everything I do is anterior or lateral or anterior to the pillars. So similar uh, to, my, to, me, to myself. Yeah. So see, I know you're a great thinker. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I have thought because some of my ALIF implants are quite large. I think that the metal might get in my way, but I've actually, and I haven't had to do it yet, uh, thankfully, but we do have a metal cutter that I could quickly go in there and just cut the keel out if it got in the way. And that's, that's my my plan if and when I ever have to do that. So I think even with that, you don't have to rip it out of the the, the anchor that's in the end plate, but I think you could with a very quick uh, metal cutting bird, just zip across the keel and and, and, and take the thing out in, in a matter of seconds. So I've done two ALIF cases in, in uh, revision surgeries with Barry Kidd and they've both worked perfectly well Excellent. without cutting the keel. Excellent. Um, let's mm-hmm. uh, let's now talk a little bit about uh, the registry that uh, you're part of, and tell us uh, a little bit about Pangea. Stay tuned to hear from the experts on the Pangea Real World Registry next time in the fourth and final chapter. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe wherever you're listening. To watch the entire interview, head over to youtubecom barricade. Thanks to Dr. Nunley and Dr. Kasumovich. And thank you for listening and for helping us build a world where lumbar herniation doesn't define lives. Barricade is indicated for reducing the incidence of reherniation and reoperation in skeletally mature patients with radiculopathy, with or without back pain, attributed to a posterior or posterior lateral herniation, and confirmed by history, physical examination, and imaging studies, which demonstrate neural compression using MRI to treat a large annular defect between four and six millimeters tall and between six and 10 millimeters wide, following a primary discectomy procedure at a single level between L4 and S1. 
All medical devices have risks. Please refer to barricade.com instructions for a full list of benefit and risk information. U.S. law restricts this device to sale by or on the order of a physician. The guests on this podcast are consultants of Intrinsic Therapeutics. Thank you.